I'm Joe Pavlo, and this is AVU, the Animation and VFX Union podcast. Welcome to episode three of AVU, the brand new podcast home of all things union related for animation and visual effects. Want to comment or ask a question? Leave a voice message at anchor.fm slash AVU. You can ask a question or just comment on the episode, but keep it brief. I think it cuts off after 60 seconds, so we'd love to use your comments and questions on the show. Today, I am joined by Paul Evans, who is a BEC2 official who looks after a few branches of the union, including the Animation and VFX Union. Paul is an amazing advocate for animation and VFX, and he works tirelessly on, on all of our behalfs. Um, Paul led Bechtu's Eyes Wide Shot campaign, which uh, looked at the negative effects of long hours in our industry and what the union can do about it. We caught up on March 11th to talk about the big news story, the, the, the biggest and only news story, really, and how it might affect our members and the film industry in general. So... Not a lot happening in the world today, I guess. Uh, anything new with you? Well, no, I think, uh, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's just one of those days, isn't it? Uh, apart from, actually, do you know what? There is one thing, is that normally I get about 20 or 30 phone calls a day from people who are worried about their pay or their terms and conditions or the fact that their boss is bullying them or uh, that they've got a grievance with their employer or they've got a problem with someone they work with or I don't know they've got a health and safety issue or they um, they want to improve their terms and conditions normally I get lots of calls like that but today and for the last three or four days I've not had any of those calls what kind of calls you've been getting Oh, well, uh, there's this thing, coronavirus. I don't know if any of your listeners have heard of it, but it's apparently, apparently it's sweeping the globe. That was on the, uh, that was on the telly the other day. It I was. Think I, I think I caught that, yeah. It was, yes. Yeah. It's the only thing people are calling me about. What, what, are, people, what are people calling you about, specifically? Well, they're calling us about a range of things. It's that their production has been cancelled, or it's been postponed, um, it's been, uh, they've been put on a hiatus or it's been cast into doubt. Um, I mean, I, I represent people who work in feature film and TV drama, but I also represent people who work in factual and entertainment. I, I represent people who work in outside broadcast. Mm-hmm. So people who cover sports events, people whose job is to get on a plane to wherever in the world a big tournament is happening and film it. Or, or record it in some way or do some production around it. Um, and, of course, travel is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Anything that involves large gatherings is a huge problem. Anything that involves going to particular countries, so, for instance, there is a production, I won't name it, but it's one that all of your listeners will have heard of that was shooting in Italy. Mm-hmm. But it isn't now. Uh, it's, it's on hiatus. I think that they're desperately trying to find alternative locations that can be made to look like the intended one <laughs> but um it's you know there's a lot of people who were expecting work who aren't and i think mm. for freelancers losing a day's work if you're if you're working 
the average 261 days of the year with 30 days paid holiday or 28 days paid holiday, which is the legal limit. If you lose a day's work, or if you, sometimes if you lose a week's work, in that area, it's not the end of the world. If you're a freelancer, it's a much, much bigger cost. Mm-hmm. Because to some extent, freelancers often only work 100 days of the year or 150 yeah. days. Well, I'm a, I'm a freelancer. Yes. And, and the production that I'm on right now, they're sending out these you know sort of studio notices saying we're we're monitoring the situation and everything it's all very it's all very up in the air and i i guarantee you it's all going to be shut down in in no time it is it's sooner rather than later it's an anxious moment and i think one thing i have to be careful of with members is that i'm not a scientist Mm -hmm. and in fact there's one thing that does make my blood boil is when i turn on my television and they say, well, let's, let's, uh, well, let's go over to the studio to discuss the coronavirus outbreak with Nigel Farage and Toby Young and, <laughs> you know, whatever I cranks know. and grifters manage to fill the TV screen. And, they don't, you know, they could be talking to scientists and people who, who do have something to know. But I think the thing to say is that nobody knows. It's yeah. not, there's not a way of knowing it. There's any, anyone who, who claims to know what's going to happen over the next month is a fraud. Mm. Because I think even the even the most the best qualified people are going to get a lot of things wrong. I mean, I, I'll I'll stick my neck out and say that I I think this is going to be a lot more disruptive and a lot bigger than almost everybody is anticipating. Yeah, I think it's. it's, it's I, sh- I should say we're uh, is it uh, March eleventh today? Mm, just yes. just to just to timestamp this. Yes, um, and it feels like just yesterday and today it's really kicked off here in the uk i think if you were it'd be interesting if any of your listeners are on twitter you can do twitter polls you know i think it'd be a really interesting thing get get people to find out from their followers firstly i think there are two questions there is a question is is this going to be from from as a medical emergency is this going to be a catastrophe is it going to be something where it you know people look at it as just a you know, one of those bumps in the road. Is this just going to be another year, one of those years when we've just had a slightly slightly worse than flu? Or is it going to be something where there's, you know, is it going to be sort of 1919 Spanish flu um, uh, sort of medical catastrophe? I think that's the first question. I, I'm and, really going to stop you there because yeah. I think the Spanish flu thing, we have to remember the state of medical science of that in that year, you know, we're we're um you know probably that well like you know you can't say if if a uh if a uh what was it the the bird flu thing which had was which was extremely extremely uh deadly but really really hard to catch Mm -hmm. if we had something that was as easy to catch as this coronavirus but as yeah. deadly as a bird flu, then you'd be looking at a Spanish flu thing. Yeah. But but right now, I, mean, I think I think whatever conversation you know, we have, it's going to, the main hallmarks of this conversation is going to be two guys who are really not qualified to have this conversation. Exactly, exactly. We, we we don't know. We don't know. I mean, I, I have to say that on on the medical thing, just from my amateur reading of it, looking at uh, you know at uh, various articles that have been thrown at me, I have to say I'd probably be more. I'd probably be as worried about the damage it's going to do in the short term to our medical infrastructure, Mm. which isn't designed to cope with the kind of demands that I think it is going to have to cope with. So that's going to be a problem. The fatalities, obviously, and the illnesses are are, are going to be a problem. 
we don't know how big. But I think there's there's a separate question, and I, I think they're not entirely linked, and that's the question of the damage this is going to do to the economy. Yeah, because yeah. you could have something where it's it actually turns out not to be the catastrophe that that you know that that our worst fears tell us it's going to be medically, but it's going to be something where the precautions we take and the measures we take to contain it could end up you know, could end up flattening our, you know, the, our part of the economy, the film and TV industry, could be really knocked out for quite a long period, you know, yeah. three, four, well, five months. Whatever. The thing I was thinking about today is that, you know, pre-production, you can you can work from home, you can work in, you know, that, that it'll be less disruptive for that. Post-production, there's definitely a large chunk of post-production that can be... Uh, working from home or you know but production itself sorry there's no way to shoot a film no. remotely and from from home and so that's going to have a knock-on effect for everything if production halts then post-production yes th then there's no post-production in a few months time. and you and you've got the all the uncertainty around travel yeah you've got the uncertainty around investment this is the, this is another problem is that you know the money a lot of you know people aren't going there's a lot of risks involved here and people are, are going to be more worried than they would normally be about putting money on the table um so there's travel there's investment other uncertainties that are nothing to do with this but have come along at the same time you know there is potentially going to be a writer's strike oh good this year might so as well, you know, might the, as well pile on. Well, the, so so the right so the writers guild may be on strike later on this year, and wow. that that will add another thing. From so a, it's from just a, going to be a continuous from a UK problem. point from a UK point of view, we have Brexit, which is again one of these great unknowns. Yeah, I was and, just going to say that. And, and Brexit is going to create all sorts of uncertainty. So it's you know the old proverb uh, is you know the, the, the I think it's a, I think it's the, the is it a Chinese curse something about may you live in interesting times <laughs> I think we are living in, in in interesting times at the moment I think investment I think work wise but let's let's bring this back to what it means for members of BEC2 the union that I that I work for and I represent mm -hmm. it means that you've got a lot of freelancers and our industry is built on freelancers yeah I think you know the vast majority of people who work on major motion pictures and TV dramas, and TV dramas, remember, are now as big and as complex an operation as, as major motion pictures yeah. are. Um, and w the UK has a huge industry. It has growing capacity. All of our um, studio facilities are booked up for the next decade. Yeah, record investment. Record investment. The country is desperately going around trying to find new places to build the studios, build build um, you know sound stages all that sort of thing that is staffed by freelancers and freelancers make a huge contribution to the industry they give the industry an immense amount of flexibility they pay for their own training mm -hmm. they take all the risks mm -hmm. you know they have periods when they're not working they have to often they have to bring their own equipment so a lot of our members, a lot of BEC2 members, will the, the deal they have with their employer is, I will arrive tomorrow to work on your location, and I'll be there for a day, and you'll pay me £300, £350 a day, £400 a day, and I'm going to charge you another £100 a day for the equipment, because I've got £30,000 worth of equipment. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, the cost, the depreciation cost of that 
So really, you know, I advise our members to charge, to fix their rate at the depreciation cost of their equipment and the cost of um, consumables, mm -hmm. you know, batteries, bulbs, that sort of thing. Um, so, so I'm also going to be, I've spent that money on this kit, but that kit's going to be lying idle. Hmm. So, so just from that point of view, it's going to cost our members. The other thing is our members don't work. You know, if you work in the supermarket or you work for a full-time, an ordinary employer, you're going to work an average of 261 days a year. That's the amount of working days there are in the year. And of those days, legally, you'll be given 28 days holiday. Mm -hmm. So uh, your listeners, I'm told VFX people are really good at sums. So 261 <laughs> minus 28. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll be happy. I'll be, it'll be tomorrow before I work that one out. <laughs> but, but that's the number of working days normal people, people who work in a full-time job. You're doing it, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, that's the number of days that, that people who are employee, employees work. Freelancers often work 100 days, 150 days, 200 days. Yeah. You know, it depends. <clears throat> depends how busy the industry there, there is. Are, there are gaps. It depends on the craft area as well. I mean, I was a freelancer. Now, I used to be a freelancer, but not in this industry. So, I was a freelancer. I used to do consultancy work on communications, on um, tech. I used to do stuff on technology and um, and and the internet. So, comms technology, how to run a, a website that that is conversational, all that sort of thing. I used to advise politicians. I used to advise um, people who were in communications and had to use the internet to communicate. Now, I'd probably only get 100 days work a year. Mm -hmm. So I'd say to myself, I want to earn £50,000 a year. So my day rate is going to have to be £500 a day. Mm -hmm. But I'd only work 100 days. But then I'd be writing blog posts. I'd be speaking on industry panels. I'd be... Uh, I'd be investing in equipment. I'd be going on training. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd be learning stuff. I'd, I'd have to spend a lot of time to pick up those skills. I'd have to spend a lot of time networking. I'd have to spend a lot of time pitching. So imagine someone in those shoes. They've got 100, 100 days work a year. They've written the blog posts. They've bought the equipment. They've been on the training. They've learned how to master their equipment. They've written the pitch. And it's a six-week job. They've mm -hmm. written the pitch. And they've won the pitch. And then the phone call comes, or they, they, you know, one of their family comes home and says, we're all going to have to self-isolate for two weeks. <laughs> I'm mm. about to start work on a six-week job. Mm -hmm. So six weeks, my day rate's £500 a day. Bear in mind, once this six-weeks job is over, I'm not going to get any work for months. Mm -hmm. But then I'll pick up another job. So you've got people who, another another bit of maths for your for your. Um, uh, for your specialists here, you've got, um, so I'm earning £500 a day for six weeks. Um, so that's six times five times 500. Mm. Don't do it. But, you know, all of that. So I've got to self-isolate for two weeks. The people I'm working with are going to find someone else for the whole six weeks. I'm not going to get back on it. And then, bear in mind, the next job I get is likely to be from the contacts I got from this job. So from a, this is something I think that policymakers and I think that the wider public, and I've not seen any coverage of the plight of freelancers in the media. Mm. This is going to be a catastrophe for yeah. some freelancers. Yeah. It's going to be a really big disaster. It's going to really hurt them. Is, is, is back to uh, uh, 
going to do uh, contact the press and try and get this story out there? Well, we're going to be raising all sorts of things. We're going to be talking about what we can do on tax. We're going to be looking at, we're going to be pressing the employers. I mean, you know, there's only so much we can achieve with this. We're going to be asking employers to honour and to offer good cancellation mm -hmm. terms. We're going to be asking them for, to offer more than the normal notice periods. If productions go on hiatus, um, generally productions don't pay for people when they go on hiatuses. We're going to be asking for them to do something. Yeah. We're going to be appealing to the goodwill of the industry, but we all also are saying to the industry, do you want the industry to be still there yeah. when, when this comes back? I mean, it's it's a good time to pitch that because, like you say, the, the, the industry is awash in money right now in the UK. We've, we, you know, there's a lot of investment. It's the big, well, it's the biggest year ever on record for, for uh, productions. Here I think it's a wash of potential, but yeah. the thing is, the cash doesn't arrive. You know, obviously, cash obviously arrive no, until, no production yeah. ever has enough money, no. and they're all begging yeah. for favors and yes. whatever. But uh, in reality, there is, you know, there's a big investment in the UK, and and I think that production should be thinking about the future, not not like right now, of, over these few months. What's you know, how can we get through this? It's more like how can we invest in these people and and make sure that they're still there and viable in, in six months' time or a year's time. But I think it's I think uh, I, I agree with all that. I think the thing that we've really got to think about on this now is that this has highlighted just how um, the lack of resilience in our industry mm -hmm. that a lot of freelancers are potentially going to be sunk by this. Some people are going to drop out of the industry. They're going to go elsewhere. They're going to decide that they need to go somewhere where it's a bit more, where the, their earnings are a bit more reliable. There's all sorts of reasons not to be in the industry. I think a lot of people come into the industry because it's quite glamorous, because it's an attractive job. I mean, it is exciting work. It's creative sure. work. Um, so see, people come into the industry, but I think there's a, quite a lot of people, and I hear them all the time. You know, those phone calls I mentioned earlier on, the ones I'm not getting this week, but I get mentioned most weeks, are people who say, I love my work, but I don't know how much longer I can take it. Yeah, I'm working 12, 14 hours a day. If you're in the production office, if you're a production coordinator, a 14-hour day isn't unusual. Mm -hmm. A 16-hour day is commonplace. And that's, you know, that's terrible for your mental health, terrible for your physical health, yes. terrible for your just family life and your relationships. Well, we're running a campaign at the moment called Eyes Half Shut. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really about that. And we've identified a range of different issues that we're campaigning on. You know, that if you work in very long hours, you're much more likely to suffer from heart disease. You're much more likely to suffer from a stroke. Mm -hmm. Much more likely. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm one of these people I hate anybody generally using the word literally. Literally usually doesn't mean literally. Right. But working long hours literally shortens your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're more likely to suffer from a stroke. You're more likely to suffer from heart disease. So it's got those long-term health problems. It's also got the short-term health problems. You're much more likely to uh, suffer from a, a low immune system. You're much more likely to be vulnerable um, in the short term. So, it, so there's the physical health, both long-term and short-term. Then there's the mental health issues. People who work long hours are much more likely to suffer from depression. Um, they're much more likely to self-medicate. Yeah. Uh, for the more gothically-minded people listening, one of the big
biggest issue, one of the issues that, the, one of the really startling facts that I saw is that people who work long hours, their children have a higher incidence of STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. That's the thing. It's the parenting gap. Okay. You know, if you're working that's very a, long hours. That's an actual hours, statistic, is it? That's an actual wow. statistic. Wow. Is okay. that if you work very long hours, it's, it, it means that the quality of parenting goes down. And one of the consequences of the quality of parenting goes down is truancy, is... As they um, become young adults and yeah. are just sort of let loose. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, truancy, delinquency, and, you know, one of the sort of very graphic um, consequences is sexually transmitted disease, diseases, you know, teenagers who have parents who work long hours. So, so I'm, I'm conscious that this is, this, you know, this is a sort of argument that lobbyists tend to make and they're always, whenever people want to really overstate their case, they come out with a statistic like this. But, it, you know, it's there. So there's the, the physical health. There's so the excessive health. unpaid overtime. Yeah. You're giving my kids the clap. Right? <laughs> exactly. And you can <laughs> quote me on that. <laughs> and if that ain't true, my name ain't unpainted Arizona. Right. Um so you've got that. Then there's the other issue, of course. You know, in production, a lot of people are driving to and from. Mm-hmm. If you're driving to and from after a 14-hour day, believe it or not, that's not illegal. Believe it or not, you can get insured to work a 14-hour day yeah. and to drive an hour and a half either side. But I wouldn't like to be on the road at the same time as someone else who's doing that. No. And the dangers, and we've seen the dangers. You know, there's, there's been recorded cases of people being killed. Mm. driving to and from work after long hour I, I days. Have, I have been on productions where we're on location, going from one location to another, where we're finishing at midnight and and driving to 50 miles away to another hotel for the next location. And I have had a couple of dicey moments on the road myself. I, I, I spoke to a location and manager and they couldn't... They, I, don't, I don't know anybody who hasn't. I spoke to a location manager the other day and they were, dri- they, they were, com- they were driving along convinced they were in the outside lane mm-hmm. and for some reason they found themselves in the inside lane and they think they nodded off for a, a few seconds and skipped across the lanes. So right. yes, so there's the driving issue. Yeah. There is the equality issue which I think is important as well because this industry, the biggest problem the British in- film industry has and TV industry has at the moment is capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got an immense amount of demand, as you know. We've got the high-end TV yeah. that's been brought in by the tax credits and by the the growing the, uh, the huge demand created by people like Netflix and Amazon and Apple and Disney yeah, and everybody. Yeah. So you've got this. We're in this period where there's a lot of um, a lot of investment going in, and. Um, and the biggest problem the industry has is finding competent people. They've just published a report, the high-end TV, uh, Screen Skills, who are the body who, who cover this, they've just published a report this week, and it's talking about the really big problems they face. And the problems are that they can't get the skills. And the problems are, because they can't get the skills, people are getting promoted too quickly. Mm. So they're getting people who don't have the skills to do the job, doing the job, and that's going to damage our reputation. The reason the British economy, the, the, the feature film and TV drama bit of the British economy is mushrooming so rapidly is because we've got a reputation of having great, you know, very high level of skills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, British crews are going to lose that reputation because of this, because people have been over promoted. There's no investment in training. 
mm. or, or none that's effective because it's all freelancers. It's not like the old days when the BBC could be relied upon to um, you know, provide um, training. So, we, we, so, so women, we, women are dropping out. We've, we've talked because about of the long hours. We've talked. We, we've talked about the coronavirus. We've talked about long hours. We've talked about uh, the uh, various discrimination and things like that. What, what, what can the union uh, do? Because one of the one of the biggest problems right now is that uh, everybody I know in visual effects thinks the union is a good idea. The vast majority of them don't quite make the leap into actually joining. Yeah. Okay, well, let's... Uh, I mean, I think it'd probably be a good idea to take a little break and then let's talk about what... Let's talk about okay. what a union is and we'll talk about what a union... What the what, what unions mean in VFX because I think they're both quite interesting topics. Okay. May you live in interesting times indeed. Okay, you've you've all heard a lot about guidance on how best to deal with the coronavirus. As far as animation and VFX goes, I would I would just say if you can work from home, you should absolutely work from home. A lot of facilities in London are already preparing and or implementing this. Um, I myself uh, am working home from home now on the production that I'm on. So um, if you haven't heard anything at home at, at work yet, then just ask. It, 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 it always pays off to just talk about this stuff. Um, another thing is, uh, you know, at work, wipe down your keyboards and, and your phone screens and your work areas with disinfectant wipes at the start of the day and throughout the day. Your facility really should be providing the, these, and uh, if they're not, ask and, and see if they can get them. Obviously, wash your hands with soap and water, which is the best, or use hand sanitizer, which is like the second best thing to do, and do it frequently. Um, and this is this is a, a weird fact that I picked up, um, especially before and after using the kitchen. Why is that? Well, uh, believe it or not, studies have found that the handle of a kettle and other things in the uh, kitchen, um, in the works, you know, tea-making facilities or whatever, can have more germs than the company toilets. Um, you know, it's it's the one sure way to get uh, germs and viruses passed around an office as quickly as possible is via the kitchen. So make sure you, um, you know, wash your hands before visiting the kitchen and definitely after visiting the kitchen. Um, it, you know, if you're if you're uh, feeling feverish or coughing, then let your company and supervisor know, and for goodness sake, go home. Stay safe, everybody. Now, uh, back to my conversation with Paul about what a union is and why we all need it. So, unions, obviously I'm a huge proponent of the unions, but I'm going to just pretend that I, I, I don't know what a union is, and I'm going to do the thing that a lot of people say to me is like, well, what do I get out of it? Why, why should I join the union? Okay. Well, let, let's start with what a union is. A union is where a bunch of people come together and decide that they're going to stick together mm -hmm. and they're going to agree what it is that they want and they're going to take collective action of one form or another so that they can bargain 
with employers. That's a really that's a really important point that it's like the the members are the union. It's not Beck Two is is a, a, just an organization that facilitates what the members want. Yes. Yeah. And we, we, and and a lot of people don't a lot of people don't understand that, and they they say, well, I I pay this tenor a month, and what 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 are they doing for me? It's like yes. no, actually, they they facilitate what you want to do yeah. as a democratically, uh, you know, deciding group. But, yes, yeah. well, I mean, we, I think yes. Sometimes people think a, a a union like a product, like a like a, a you know a, a an organization, a service, a concierge. Yes, that's it. A concierge <laughs> service, or an agent, yeah. or a diary service, or a. You know the AA. The AA will come and fix your car. You pay. You pay yeah. so much uh, to a automobile association or whatever. Wherever your listeners in the world are listening to this, the, a club that you join to pay to make sure that your car gets picked up if it's broke down, and they're relied upon to do it. But it's not that, is it? No, no. A union isn't a service. Mm-hmm. It really isn't a service. A union is. Is something that its members do. I mean, I say to, I often do talks to groups of people who are thinking about about joining a union. And my my first thing to them is, I'll always say, look, I don't want I don't want any of you to join the union. I want you to form a union. If you can't stick together with your colleagues and do something together that makes it hard for employers to mistreat you, if you can't stick together to improve rates or to dissuade employers from doing something that you don't want them to do. If you can't do that, if you don't believe that's possible, then don't join the union. Mm-hmm. I, I always say to people, you need to try and form a union first. If you've got a bunch of people who've agreed that they're going to stick together and that they're going to stick together for a particular purpose, then you're halfway there. You've got a bunch of people who are single-minded, who've agreed that they're going to have to cooperate with each other. Now, what we're good at as a union is we're good at hosting that. Mm-hmm. So if, 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 if you show me a room full of 100, 100 people who've all said, we don't like this aspect of our work, all 100 of us are prepared to do what we need to do to improve this situation, then I will help them turn that into action. I'll help them to flesh out what it is they really mean, put it into words, turn it into, uh, uh, into collective action that can work. As a union, we have a press office, we have designers, mm-hmm. we have rooms we can book rooms for people we can mm-hmm. design publicity material we can coordinate things uh, we can coordinate you with other departments in the film industry mm-hmm. which is important because generally if you can go into a negotiation in partnership with the electricians the negotiation is likely to go better <laughs> than it will do with other departments yeah well the electricians have a have a great union don't they yes but so so we, so we we are the electricians union mm mm-hmm. Uh, and when we go into negotiations, of course, yeah, Back with with the with the TV drama or the feature film negotiations, other departments go in alongside the electricians. Mm-hmm. And the electricians give them a certain strength, but the other departments also contribute something. Absolutely, you know. So, so to some extent, the electricians are better off going in with the other departments. But the electricians are definitely the stormtroopers. They're the ones who, you know, electricians have a slightly different approach to the film and TV industry. In that, I think that if you're if you're in the camera department and you've got an option of working on a low budget TV comedy, which mm-hmm. is option A, mm-hmm. or working on the Star Wars franchise or on Artemis Fowl or on something like that, mm-hmm. then you're prepared. You're probably going to be more likely to do the latter. You're going to want to work on something that's that can develop your career. 
yeah. electricians tend generally to think a job is a job is a job. And as long as, you know, the, the rate is always going to be the same. So I digress. But what I'm saying is that a union is where a bunch of people, through democratic collective action, uh, stick together and agree to put pressure on their employers. The democratic bit, I think, is really important because I think sometimes people think that, I think people often tend to regard unions, unions do things that annoy them. And that's often because unions aren't particularly effective democratically. I, you know, perish the thought that sometimes unions get taken over and dominated by a small bunch of vocal cranks who mm. have a particular agenda. Yeah. Let's face it, d democracy isn't necessarily effective democratically. It depends, well, on, it depends on how involved people are. Yes, I, I think that's it. it yeah. I think that it, it is. And, and to some extent, one of your big problems is often people aren't going to be, aren't capable of being involved. If people work, particularly around, in our industry, yeah. people work long hours, they are exhausted, they have lots of other commitments, they don't have time Mm -hmm. to get involved in in these sort of things so a good you know running a good democracy is often about you have to find ways to find out what it is that people really want and a poor democracy will give people what they say that they think they want yeah and, and I so think, the union can be there to to yes. help facilitate that well in the, in the form of i mean i i'll often sit down with our members and i will remind them of what i know that our broad membership wants yeah because we often hear you know there's the in in the classical thing in consultation is that there's the hard to avoid there's the hard to reach who are important and there's the hard to avoid as well there are people <laughs> who have very strong views and insist that their priorities are everyone else's priorities so it's really important to us to be good at working out what it is our members really want been able to listen to a large number of our members rather than the small vocal group mm -hmm. and I think that if you crack that problem then people tend to be less suspicious of the union people tend to notice when something's been taken over by blowhards mm -hmm. so uh, you know a, a union is fundamentally a democratic bunch of people who are going to find a way to persuade employers to do to behave differently and they're going to do that by collective action mm -hmm. and sometimes that means they withdraw their labor Sure, that's the extreme end of it. That's the extreme end of it. Uh, you know, the, the, the funny thing is like, yeah, a lot of people love complaining about strikes and things like because we get them, you know, like the train strikes, the underground strikes in London and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, I, always, I always tell people like, look, number one, if they, if they decide to go on strike, they don't get paid. So bear that in mind that, that you, things have gotten so bad that they're, willing to not get paid and jeopardize paying their mortgage or putting food on the table or whatever, uh, that, that they've tried so hard to get so far and this is their last option. Because, uh, and, and so I'm, my default position is that I'm always on the side of the strikers. Because, well, because yeah. and, and that, that's, that's my default position and, and maybe there are cases that that's not the right way to yeah. look at it. But, most of the time, you know, people take it, people don't take it lightly. And, and, so, and, and you know, the, the funny thing is like, I can't imagine London visual effects going on strike. No. Um, I, I do, the funny thing is they have, uh, when I was working at MPC, they, they downed tools and walked out at MPC's Bangalore, uh, you know, India facility a couple of times while I was there. 
you know, like like so India is is perhaps more sort of ripe for unionization than London. I don't know. Yeah, I think the thing. I think the one of the things about our industry is that fundamentally, I think most of our members really love their industry. Absolutely, they genuinely wouldn't want to do anything that damage the industry. And to some That's extent, number one. That's I think, number and, one and I think everybody. they often look at the industry and see the employers doing things that damage the industry. Without a doubt, you know the employer. I don't, the, the quality of management is appalling. I think now the British have always had a reputation for bad management. You know, it was <laughs> it's a tradition. In, in, in yes. the nineteen seventies, they used to talk about the British disease, and the British disease was trade union militancy. Mm. But you know, trade union militancy was a symptom of poor management. The film industry is unusual in that it has a very low investment in management. Mm-hmm. There are very few MBAs. You know, any other, a comparable industry um, of another kind, you know, would would have people good managers, people with management skills. There are no HR departments or very poor HR departments. There are no MBAs. The, the quality of management is poor. The people at the top of the industry are people who came in and managed to go through that low wage, long hours, brutal working hours assault course for the first couple of years yeah. while they earned their spurs and became an AD or became a you know someone in production and sort of gradually worked their way up. And that's how you get on in this industry. Um, so I think sometimes when our members can be intelligent and make the right demands, they're actually making the industry better. We, we, as a union, we'd never be able to pitch an idea to our members for democratic collective action that would damage the industry. Yeah, well, n- nobody, nobody, none of our members in the VFX animation branch want to want to hurt the industry. They no. want to improve the industry, make it make it stronger and and healthier by making it more ethical and yes. more responsible. And when we appear on the scene with uh, in, in with the VFX companies, we notice the quality of their management goes up. Mm-hmm. So the moment they feel threatened by the union or challenged by them, firstly they they deny that there, there are any problems, yeah. and all of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden, as suddenly you know, things you know, start the, getting a little bit more sunny and rosy. Yeah, people get told to go home, and all of a sudden, the staff forum appears, and they mm-hmm. they start to listen to people. Yeah. So that you know the 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 industry has that 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 problem, and our, our members help it. But sometimes our members will agree on the set of rates of pay. Mm-hmm. And because the employ bad, what bad employers do is they buy on price. Mm-hmm. So they don't. If you know, there's a thing economists call the market for lemons. What, the do market, mean, what do you mean by that? Well, the market for lemons is a thing where if you don't know the difference between good and bad, mm-hmm. between a good product and a bad product, you lo- you're, you're own, if you don't have the capability of knowing the difference between good and bad, then you're only ever prepared to p- pay the price you'd pay for bad. Yeah, because you know, I mean, you know, you, you know, I, I'm sure I don't need to draw a, a picture of the economics, the, the economic calculations underlining that, mm-hmm. but underpinning that. But if you don't know now, a lot of employers don't know the difference between good and bad. The people who do the hiring wouldn't know um, good from bad. So what they do is they set the low rates, and then they wonder why there isn't the climate where people are prepared to invest in developing their own skills. Yeah. So what we'll sometimes do is we will say to our members, we think you need to find a way of agreeing a minimum rate that no one will work below, and you need to find a way of sticking together on it. Yeah, and they do. You know, there's a lot it's, of it's called a it's called a rate card, isn't it? It's industry. a rate card. Yeah, and and our members sometimes and what, do what, stick what together. It, what is a rate card? 
a rate, a rate card is something that our members put together. They write it on a bit of paper and say that the minimum rate or the going rate or the aspirational rate, every branch will choose their own version of it. Mm -hmm. But the rate for this particular job, this particular job title in this particular uh, type of work, and sometimes it can be on the experience band as well. So someone who's a bit more experienced might want, might want a particular rate. But the idea is you urge your members to say, I will promise not to undercut my colleagues, mm -hmm. which means if someone offers me work below this rate, mm -hmm. I will turn it down. And I'll tell my colleagues that I've turned it down as well. So, so a rate card is like is is a, is a floor. It's not a ceiling. It can be. It can people, be. People, yeah, be, oh, yeah, absolutely. People yeah. can negotiate higher than the rate card. Yes. Based on experience and and availability and whatever. Yes. And uh, and um, but they they mustn't negotiate. They mustn't they accept mustn't a job undercut. for below. They the mustn't undercut. So it's a floor, not a ceiling. So, yeah. so, so a union will look at ways that we can. There's the democratic collective action aspect. There's the the bits where we try and persuade employers to improve their behaviour. There's the bit where we try and and get our members to hold their rates up, and you know to underline their professionalism by that. But I think the final thing I'd like to say on the union is, freelance unions are different. Mm -hmm. It's not like organising people who are working in a factory. You know, my, my family, my father used to work in a foundry and he was he was in the union. It was really easy to organise there because mm -hmm. you stood at the gate and everybody was in the union and yeah. they all paid their subs at the same time as they got their pay packet. Mm -hmm. um, things have moved on. This industry is very dispersed. They're freelancers. They're people who are often on two or three month um, fixed term contracts maximum, sometimes on weekly or even daily contracts. Yeah. So it's very hard to, 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 de you know, to deal with. And I think that all of those things I described, the democratic collective action, the rate stuff, that's not possible if the individuals who work in the industry are frightened mm -hmm. themselves, if they're timid, if they're not capable of, of being robust in negotiating their rates, then they're never going to be form a good union branch. Yeah. If they're not good at, at knowing how to deal with being bullied, then they're not going to be an effective union branch. So we have a rubric that we use to organize. It's called standing up for yourself, standing for up for each other sticking together mm -hmm. in helping our members improve their ability to negotiate helping their ability to deal with bullying gender pay gaps things like that we'll hold events as a union to pro to talk about those issues yeah the second level sticking together we will do as much as we can to promote industry norms so we'll promote the idea that you can't be bullied here's a list of things that are bullying behaviors We've agreed these with employers' organisations. The employers' organisations have agreed to distribute our version of what bullying is. And to and we, we work with the industry and sometimes we'll do workshops on bullying for managers. We'll do workshops for staff on bullying. We do workshops on how to negotiate rates. We have a, uh, there's an agent, a friendly agent, who often comes in and gives pep talks to people on how to mm. um, negotiate their rates. So... I don't think we can achieve anything until we can get to a point where the average worker is someone who has a reputation for not being a pushover. Mm -hmm. We're not looking for people who are crazy union militants. We're looking for people who say, no, I'm not working for that rate. That's not a professional rate. If you want to pay that rate, you need to go and find an amateur. Well, the funny thing is that the, the visual effects and animation is, is full of people who have this sort of lone wolf mentality. Like... Oh, but I'm great at negotiating, and you know, I, 
look, if, if somebody can't negotiate, that's their problem. You know, like I'm actually really good and I get, I get paid really well. And I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, they don't get me to work overtime unless I want to or whatever. And there's, there's that mentality. And, and it's, you know, what would you say to people like that? Because they, they really, you know, personally, I, I, I think that good for you, good for you. You're in a strong position. Now, there's a lot of people working in this industry who aren't as lucky as you. And maybe if we form a union, you know, we can raise everybody and it'll be better for everybody, including yourself, you know. Maybe. I mean, I'd be interested to meet these people who are terrific negotiators. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that I have a feeling that they don't know the half of it. They they, yeah. they they're probably thinking, Holy crap, I am just rolling in it and they, their potential is actually much less than what I mean. What it could this be. is a very profitable industry, and you know the the this it's, industry will be able to sustain much better rates. And I think the industry will be a lot better off if it were to pay those better rates yeah, as well. Yeah. But I think that, that you know there is a I, I I would say that most people in the industry would benefit from going on a short course on how to negotiate your rates. You know, it's a, it's two, and Beck, Beck two offers that we do. We do regular talks with uh, with an agent who will come and do. So if you become um, a member, that's that's available. It is. Yeah, yeah we negotiating can, we, rates, and you can well, learn. If, if you're, if, if a lot if, of people don't even know if they're high or low, they just like, yeah. oh, I managed to pay my bills. Uh, I'd like more money. Do other people? Well, doing the, what I do, get yes. more money. I don't know. Well, you know. They're, they're going into the, the, you know so, you know the old joke about you know they turn up to a knife with a knife to a gunfight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's from what's the film? The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. Turns up. Uh, they turn up to a, a gunfight with a knife. The employers do know have a, a, a good overview of what the market can bear, and the empl- Remember, the employers aren't interested in in developing the industry. No. The employees are interested in developing their particular company, so that the health of the wider industry is not not a big concern. And to some extent, I think that unless we stop them That's, from doing it, the VFX companies will lead a race to the bottom. Yeah, well, they are. Absolutely. They are doing a race to the bottom, and, and it, it's to their detriment that they don't work together and they don't see the whole industry as as something that should be invested in. In, you know, both people and, and just opportunities uh, no, and I, training and I, all that sort of I, stuff. I disagree slightly. I mean, I think their job is to compete with their rivals. I think it's just our job to make sure that we don't let them do that by racing to the bottom. Yeah. You know, we, we, can, we can encourage them to compete with their rivals in a race to the top. Mm-hmm. So I think, that's, I think that's a good overview of what a union is. I think we are a, um, we're a bunch of people who democratically stick together our thing, our, our rubric is always help people to stand up for themselves first. Mm-hmm. Once they can do that, then they can stand up for each other. Mm-hmm. And once they can do that, then they can stick together. So it's a development job. And you know, I wish everyone in VFX would get involved and work with us on it. Well, we, we have hundreds of members in the branch, as you know. And uh, what we need is thousands of members because London is a big visual effects uh, industry. And uh, hopefully people will join. I mean, uh, thanks very much for, for coming along and, and chatting about all this stuff. We've, we've covered a lot of topics tonight, but uh, it's, been, it's been fun talking to you. And uh, thank you very much, Paul. 
Well, that just about wraps it up for another episode of AVU, the Animation and VFX Union podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and join us every week. If you want to comment on anything or ask us a question, please leave a voice message at anchor.fm slash avu. We want this to be an audience-led forum that addresses what you think is important and help amplify what you all want to talk about. If you're not already a member of the Animation and VFX Union, please join today. Beck2, the UK's media and entertainment union, has thousands and thousands of members across all the different branches of film and television, and they represent animation and visual effects in the UK. It's only a tenor per month, and you'll start receiving the benefits of being a member right away. There's loads more information at our branch website at animvfxunion.com. That's A-N-I-M-V-F-X-Union.com. Thanks for listening. I've been Joe Pavlo, and until next week, remember, if you haven't got a seat at the table, you're probably on the menu.